Have you ever been encouraged or chastised or challenged by either your parents or by some authority figures in your life just to grow up? Um, I feel like I used to get the, the challenge to grow up quite a lot from my mom and dad as I was a pretty immature kid. Um, the proof of that was that whenever they would tell me to grow up, I just my first reaction was just to go like this and just try and physically grow up, which is proof that I, I wasn't really responding to, responding to whatever they were saying. But uh, being told to grow up when you're uh, a kid or when you've done something dumb is, uh, is, is one of those kind of intimidating feelings, isn't it? That, uh, you know, it sort of assumes that, that something greater is expected expected out of us that we should be acting in a different way that we should that people are expecting us to be in a different place that we're not acting at age or acting as mature as we perhaps should be and we're going to read some uh, verses from Galatians just a few short verses today that I think uh, that encourage us challenge us chastise us to grow up into all that God has for us in fact I think these verses have a habit of calling us upwards, calling us uh, higher into what God wants for us. And that's what we want from the scriptures, right? We want us to, we want the, the, the Bible to be calling something out of us that's, that's deep within us that perhaps hasn't been realized and hasn't been experienced, calling us higher and deeper at the same time. And uh, I, I don't believe these verses call us to do something, but they call us to be someone and they call us to be the people that God made us to be. It's calling us into our inheritance, calling us to live differently, calling, letting us know that we can live um, free from, from slavery, let, letting us know that we can live free from fear and that we can live in the freedom that God has intended for us. So do something a little bit different this morning. Let me uh, put this challenge out there. If you're at your computer, open another browser window and pull up um, the Bible app, bible.com, and follow along. It may be if you're, if you're watching this uh, at anthemchurch.life and you can see us at church online, you'll be able to do that right there. And uh, If you're on Facebook Live, you'll just have to open another browser window. If you're, if you're watching it on your TV, grab a phone or one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, you know what I mean? But actually follow along because I believe... What I want to do is I want to read these verses to you and then I want to read these verses with you. And I believe that, that what's written in here could impact our lives. And so I don't want you to miss uh, being engaged and being involved in it today. Um, what's in this passage, Galatians chapter 4, is like the whole story of God just wrapped up in verses 1 to 7. There's, there's, like I said, there's a bit of talk about us not being slaves but us being sons. Um, that it, it connects the Old Testament to the New Testament and you get to see like that whole story of what God is doing. There's a bit of Christmas in there. There's like there's a bit of the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. There's essentially the whole gospel wrapped into these verses. There's a theology of the Trinity of what that means. And, uh, and, and these are going to describe for us what God has in store for us as his children right here in these, four, in these seven verses. So if you've got your Bible by now, and I've been vamping a little bit to give you some time to get that, let's go right into it. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no, long, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. 
So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. I know you're taking sips of your coffee, so don't feel like I should not be able to do mine. But isn't that incredible, fascinating that he talks about, he talks to these Galatian Christians and he's saying, you were once in slavery, you were once servants, but now you can be, uh, you can be sons, but you're previously underage and no different to a slave, even though you, uh, you, know, you own the whole estate. Now, in our culture here in America, I don't think we're, we're that great at doing rites of passage, especially for our, uh, our kids as they're growing up. In fact, we, we're kind of perhaps all over the map on that and don't have anything specific. We do have a lot of graduations. Um, I suppose graduations are, are what we try to do best. And uh, the, the one that comes to mind for me is my son Micah's graduation from preschool. And, uh, and, and he just did not know what he was doing, why he was doing it, why he was being given a piece of paper with words on it that he could not read, why he was wearing a thing, why we'd had to make him wear a tie. In fact, look at this picture right now. Isn't he cute and adorable and his jacket and his tie and everything like that? But doesn't he look bored? Like this, this, is, this is rite of passage gone wrong right here. And uh, I didn't even want to be there, but apparently I had to be there. Um, but I could just see the boredom on his face. This, this rite of passage wasn't working for him. Now, neither was any rite of passage like a graduation for anybody in 2020. And two of my kids, well, Micah and Eden, graduated from uh, middle school and high school in, in, in the midst of the pandemic. And I know that teachers and school administrators and kids alike were all trying to do their best to get through these sort of virtual events that were a real struggle. But, um, you know, hats, cap and gowns off to, to uh, anyone that had to sit through that this past year. And uh, you did good and we're proud of you. But I know it was tough because we want those, those rites of passage to be real and to actually help us sit back after it and make us feel like, yeah, we achieved something, something we accomplished something and something changed. Uh, but sometimes they, sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. But in the Jewish culture, what was um, real clear uh, back in the time of the New Testament church and even today is the, the rite of passage that a Jewish uh, young teenager goes through, the bar mitzvah for boys or the bat mitzvah uh, for girls. Big part of their culture that has, has never changed. And perhaps in some cases, it's just an excuse for a, for a big party now. But definitely back then, it would have been a real significant move from childhood to adulthood. And that, that, that word bar mitzvah means son of the commandment or son of the law or daughter of the law. And it essentially means that they were being brought into adulthood, being fully fledged adults in their culture and in their beliefs. And the, the idea of being underage and then coming of age was a significant step and change in their lives. 
Paul, who wrote this book to the Galatian church as a Roman citizen, uh, would have understood something called the, the liberalia, or liberalia. Uh, it was a time when a Roman father would decide and a Roman father would, get the, 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 would be the one who made the choice um, usually in the spring, to decide was his son ready for this liberalia tradition, this uh, this move into adulthood with all the um, the rites and passage and uh, you know ceremonies that that came with it, and he would go through all those ceremonies involved in that rite of passage, because it was time to move to adulthood. Now, verse one says, "What I'm saying is that as long as an heir." is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. It's as if deep down in the experience of these Galatian Christians was this this sort of future state that they somehow couldn't attain yet, this future inheritance of everything that is kind of coming their way. And Paul is partly talking here about the fact that while before Jesus came, while the Jewish law and the Jewish traditions and the Jewish commandments were, were in, in place, um, the, the fulfillment hadn't come about yet. Their coming of age hadn't, coming about, hadn't come about yet because that was going to come when Christ came. And that was coming at the perfect time that only the Father would set, just like in that Roman tradition, at a time that the Father would set. When he decides that it, the time has come to send Jesus. And so it's interesting that it says in verse 2, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. You know, by, by, the, by his father. You know, God has always, I don't know if you know this, but God has always had a long-term plan to redeem humanity back to himself, to redeem those that would come back to himself. And he's not... Uh, Sometimes we think God is slow to act, but the Bible says that God is not slow in the way that some view slowness, but he is right on time. And right at the right time, God sent Jesus to redeem us from slavery and make us sons. Now, we do have to always uh, be reminded, I think, that the way that the Bible, uh, the way that slavery took place, uh, in the Old Testament and in the time of Jesus was not the same as the sort of abhorrent uh, view of slavery that we have today. There was, there was different elements to it. And if you ever want to look at what biblical slavery was like, go look at Exodus chapter 21. And it describes um, the way that somebody would, would go into servanthood or slavery. And those terms seem to be a bit interchangeable in the scriptures. Um, uh, because we sort of filter all our views on that through the idea of African slavery coming to this country in the 16th, 17th, 1800s. Um, and so, but we need to re- look slightly differently at what that means. In the Bible, if somebody wasn't, uh, during the time of the Bible, if somebody, if an indiv- individual wasn't independently wealthy, uh, couldn't pay their bills from their own resources, couldn't live independently, uh, they would link themselves to a wealthy family and they would go into that family's uh, servanthood and be a servant slash slave um, in that family until they paid off their debt. Um, here in America, we call that a job. Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, I know there's, there's, there's some, some differences, but there, there's also some similarities as well. You know, if you, if, you were, if you were somebody that would say, I wouldn't do my job if it wasn't for the paycheck, you know, you're kind of in a similar sort of situation. And some, in, in some of those cases, uh, the, the, those uh, servant and 
slavery situations would have been awful and some of them would have been less than awful and some of them would have been okay. <clears throat> but Jesus' coming heralded the moment when we could move out of slavery and into sonship. Because even in those wealthy families, there were, there were, there were slaves who were doing the work of the, of the household that didn't inherit anything. And there were sons who one day would inherit. And although in some ways they seemed similar before the son had come of age, at some point that son was going to come of age and was going to inherit everything that previously belonged to the father. Now, so in the, so in the New Testament, it of course was, as well, the thing to bear in mind was that it was only sons that inherited daughters didn't inherit in the same way. So we also have to filter through our, our desire for gender-neutral language um, when actually in order to relay the, old, the, the story specifically coming from this day, we have to remember that th this is in a culture two millenniums ago that was very different from ours. But as we relate that today, we've got to remember this, that God has male and female sons. If we're to relate to this New Testament story in this culture, we've got to remember that, that the rights of sonship belong to males and females, that God has male and female sons in the same way that when we talk about the church, that's us, here online or in person, whatever, however we meet in the church, if, we're, if, we've, if we've decided to follow Christ, we are part of his church. We are also his bride. And so God has a male a bride, the bride of Christ, is made up of males and females being his church. It's not like, oh, the bride of Christ, that's just for the girls. No, we, I am part of the bride of Christ. God has a male and female bride, and God has male and female sons. Now, let's look at these verses. Verse 4, this is where God, like, describes for us the whole gospel just in a few verses. This, like when I read this again, this kind of blew my mind about how much truth and how much of what God has for us is wrapped up in just these few words. Verse four, but when the set time had fully come, that appointed moment in time that God was gonna break into humanity in a new way, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. See, when the time had fully come. God had, God had a specific time. He hadn't forgotten. God has had a specific time to send his son into the world. Now, there are, there's multiple words for son in, in both the Old and the New Testament, whether it means a, a, a baby son or a child or an adult son. Um, but this, this one that he's talking about, when it, when it says, uh, uh, when the time, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, into the world, it's talking about an adult male. It's talking about an adult male who is at the point where he's passed all his rites of passage. He's passed all the, 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 uh, the liberality, the bar mitzvah, that kind of stuff. And he's in that place where he is fully uh, adult and has the rights to inherit. God sent his son into the world. 
And uh, uh, when you read about um, uh, Jesus being baptized, it's the same word that's used there. When Jesus was baptized and the, the voice from heaven came down and the Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's at that point where he's ready to, to do what God has called him to do in the world. And, uh, and it's a tragedy when we don't live like we have the inheritance that Jesus has given us. We're living like slaves. We're living like underage sons. We, we need to grow up in our faith. Slaves don't inherit the, the estate, but sons inherit the kingdom. It's as if like we're sometimes living like we're, we're an adult that still has to be told when to go to bed, that we're still uh, acting as if we're children. And when we, don't, when we don't recognize that I am a child of God, we've sung that song many times, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. Let's not, be, let's not live like children when we know that God has called us to the fullness of sonship, when God has called us to the fullness of a relationship with us. Sometimes we, we battle with so many of the things that, um, are, are, that should be from our past life before we follow Christ, but we allow them to come in when we need to remind ourselves, I am a child of God. I don't need to fight with this sin. I don't need to fight with this, this old pain, this old hurt, because I'm a child of God. I'm able to inherit the full right of sonship. It says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. And just as the father in that Roman culture would decide, is it time? The father in heaven decided it is time. And it's time to, to put a change to, to everything that's been going on in humanity from that point and then now. God sent his son, born of a woman, and Paul is connecting right here. Like I said, the whole gospel is written in these verses. Paul is connecting the fact that, that, that Jesus is fully human and fully God at that same time. At the, at the same time. In fact, Christians believe that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And when, when it says God sent his son, born of a woman, he's, you're, you're reminded that God sent the son, that the father sent the son, and yet he was born of a woman. He was coming from heaven, and yet he was totally related to humanity as well. Jesus was fully God, yet he's God's son, yet he's also born of a woman and pointing to that, that idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And the other thing that's right here is this description of the fact that the Trinity is involved in sending Jesus and changing everything for us. So right here, you've got this picture of the Trinity at work. So now the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. You, you may or may not know that, but you've probably heard if you've grown up in church or if you've, you've, we've taught an anthem on this before, that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, what, is, is how we best describe God, how we best describe the Godhead. One God expressed in three persons. That's what we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All equally, and it's really important that we recognize that, all equally God. One, no, no one is, is, is higher in authority, no one is greater, but they all exist on this eternal, equal plane. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And right here we see this um, expression of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being involved in the miracle of moving us from slavery 
to sonship. Get this. When it says God sent the son, it's talking about the father in heaven sending the son. And and, and, And it carries on. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. The Father sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, of His Son into our hearts. And then that Spirit cries out, cries out to God, Abba, Father. Isn't that incredible that, um, that there's not one shred of the Godhead that isn't involved in redeeming humanity and in making a, a, a place for us at God's table. Incredible stuff. So we, are, so, so, so we read that phrase that the spirit within us is crying back out to the Father, Abba, Father. And we get to do that as sons as well. We can have that Abba, Father relationship with God. And what does that mean, Abba, Father? Is that just some Swedish band? No, this, this word Abba um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew was, was a, a word that's almost um, untranslatable, indescribable. But it's, it's talking about that intimate personal relationship with uh, between a child and a father very much along the lines of daddy or papa or I think of uh, uh, Sean and Rebecca uh, my friends Sean and Rebecca they're they have a Brazilian background so um, their their little one calls Sean papai which is obviously the Brazilian phrase which um, just describes that intimacy between a daughter in this case and a father and uh, and it's interesting that in the New Testament, that word, it's not even, they're not even trying to translate it because it's untranslatable. And so it's left in the original language. But God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and I. He wants to have a relationship that a, that a small child with a trusted father could have, where the small child can run to that father and know that that will always be my dad, that will always be my father. Verse 7 says, so you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. You know, some translations start out that verse by saying, therefore. And when you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you've also always got to ask ask yourself that question. What's it there for? Uh, But it says, so you are no longer a slave. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Uh, Because Paul's just wrapping up everything that he's talked about so far. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. Because of everything that God has done to make it possible for you to come into his kingdom and be his child, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer um, subject to guardians. You're no longer unable to inherit. But now you are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child of God. And since you are a child of God, God has also made you an heir. It's not just for, for, for this life. But God has given me uh, rights to, to God's eternal kingdom as well. We're no longer property of the master, but we are sons of the father. Now, I've had a lot of friends over the years who have gone through the adoption process and who have uh, become, decided to become either foster parents or uh, eventually made that uh, uh, decision to adopt children. And that journey of getting to that place, I'm sure, is a is an arduous journey of figuring out, are we, are we able to do this? Are we ready to do it? I'm sure there's lots of prayer, lots of tears, lots of thought in that, in that process. And even some Anthem parents uh, are in the process of doing that right now. And I, I'm in awe of those, those parents that make that decision. It's making a long-term, no-return, lifelong 
commitment to a child. And I'm sure there's been that wrestling in every case. Are we, are we ready for this? How is this going to impact our existing family? Will, will we know what to do? Um, these questions can be huge and it requires a step of faith for those families that decide to go into fostering or adoption. <clears throat> but the biggest one, perhaps the biggest choice, is, is because you know in almost every case, when we do this, we will be stepping in to some brokenness, to some unknown brokenness that could be at extremely high levels and making a commitment to a no return experience as we step in to that brokenness. And I'm not so much talking here about the actual uh, act or need for adopting or fostering children, although something I, I firmly believe in and there's a huge need for it. But I want to remind you that when God adopted you as his son or daughter, God made a decision, God made a commitment to step into your brokenness, fully aware that it would cost him a great deal and he did it anyway and I hope that as you read this passage and remember that God has allowed us adoption into sonship he, he, he has decided to take us from where we are knowing that it would cost the life and the death of his son and he, he the, the life and the death of his son was given in order for us to become children of God and so let's remember the, the great thing that we have been given. And it just hopefully in reading those, four, those seven verses today, I hope you've been encouraged today at everything that God has done and the price that was paid in order for you to become a child of God. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you today that a great price was paid for me and for everybody participating in this today to be your child. And Lord, for anybody that's watching this who doesn't know that experience, I pray that they will make that decision today to, 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 to let go and to let you into their life and to say, I want to come into your family. I know I've, I've, I know I've been far from God. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned. I know I'm distant from God. But today I lay that down and I want to be in the family of God. And I want to, I want to, Lord, will you do what you've always promised to do? Adopt me into your family. And God, I thank you that when I, I know that when I made that decision to follow you, that you adopted me into your family and I've never looked back. And so we say thank you today for that in Jesus' name.